0: His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet, with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And now Heston is taking us all on a journey to the centre of food, deep inside ingredients and dishes we all recognise to reveal the hidden secrets inside them and hopefully change how we all view cooking and eating forever. Hello, Heston. How are you today, sir? I'm very, very good. And you, Jay? I am very good. You see, we're getting better at that now, aren't we? We are. The, uh... Yes, we are.
1: And you, and, and you, James?
0: I'm very good as well. Three very good people. Is it I don't know, a trilogy of goodness? Keeping us, Keeping us happy, and this is a segue, brace yourself. <laughs> I can't wait. Keeping us happy and alive are our brilliant listeners, because we have had a delivery, which we are both very excited about. I'm going to give just a little bit of background on this. So a few weeks ago, we did an episode all about the sweet shop. And uh, Heston was sharing his wonderful experiences of the sweet shop, but also the amazing things they created at the Fat Duck. But during that, we wondered what the sweet shop experience was beyond the borders of the British Isles uh, and as far away as Australia. Well, because it's, it's
1: so... A sweet shop experience is so personal to every single
0: individual and luckily our listeners got back in touch and told us all sorts of different memories but even better than that peter with the wonderful instagram site at gastro which is what it sounds like a homage to food and kylie which is brilliant got in touch and not only did he give us his memories but he's also sent us something that we both heard about had never tried before isn't it heston these are the amazingly named Musk sticks. Well, firstly, I'd like to say in this day and age
1: of modern technology, instant Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, post it, do the minimum work possible to show everyone how, you know, minimum effort for maximum gain in some respects. So I'm here in rural France and via you, via Australia, via Peter. I open it took about 2 weeks to get here because the La Poste in France I think they they uh, they kind of do the round of the houses in the countryside and if they can't find it they throw it over a random fence so so it's a little bit it's it's a little bit less reliable however to receive a card and a little packet that somebody made the effort write the, buy the card write the card and send in a packet of sweets from their childhood. I can't tell you how wonderful that is. And when we're going to talk about airplane food in a bit, just park this thought. The incredible ability of food and our relationship with food to connect us with each other, to keep it as gifts. So somebody makes an effort to write a card, send the card, and buy a packet of sweets from their childhood. Must sticks. They arrived just after our last podcast. And talk about working for reward. I have worked for my reward here. Listen to this. That's the packet of Mark's sticks. And the packet is not open.
0: Which which is incredible willpower by your standards. Oh, my
1: God. For me, I've looked at it, and I've squeezed a couple of them (laughs) to try and get an idea of the texture. I've looked at the ingredients. Uh, I have looked at the way they're extruded so imagine you've got a um, on the end of your sort of Kenwood pasta machine where you put the pasta in and you you fo- like a play-doh machine it's like a star from looking at it from end on but it comes out as a as a, a tube a star-shaped tube so I start squeezing it between my thumb and my forefinger and I can see it's a bit malleable but if I if I squeezed it too quickly it would snap so it's a little bit granular so I'm building out my expectation for what this sweet is going to be. It's
0: pink. And these have been mentioned a few times to us as well. And I noticed on the back, they have. my favourite thing, and not having tried these years, it says confectionery comes in heaps of fun flavours. And that is one of my, my favourite Australian words. Whenever I hear it on Home and Away, when my wife watches heaps. it, heaps, I cheer. It's heaps, heaps. of fun flavours, which I think is brilliant. Yeah,
1: it's like pour, it's just like you're continually pouring... Good stuff on good stuff, aren't you, when it comes to heaps?
0: I looked at it as well. In fact,
1: um there's not that many ingredients in here. Sugar, of course, is a sweet. Glucose, gelatin. I think the key thing is the natural flavor. So under that heading of natural flavor, we could be eating, I don't know, we could be eating fluffy teddy bears, motor cars, trees, bananas, avocado, Roast chicken, milkshake, or our old socks—we don't know. So, it fa- so the fact is, I'm really pleased with myself that I've spent the best part of a week doing this,
0: looking at so the them packet, and savoring the, the moment. So, Peter, Peter, thank you. It we really appreciate. it. Although I have to uh, say, the name I do find Musk stick slightly off-putting because I think of Musk as something a, a deer sprays around to mark its territory. It is isn't now I now there's an interesting there's
1: an interesting subject so musk is exactly that it is it has its origins are based in the anal glands of certain animals and the perfume aren't human beings incredible the perfume industry a couple of hundred years ago realized that there are certain molecules that are produced from an evolutionary point of view, either for the purpose of mating or protecting your uh, your territory. So, when a cat sprays its thing, it stinks and it hangs around for a very long time.
0: Yeah, my front so garden's musk testimony to that. Is the
1: same. Well, it's, it's human. How do I say this? There is no easy way to say the human excrement or excrement. We detest it. It's repulsive, but there's a part of it that we actually love, but we don't like it. It's disgusting. It is it's something that we shouldn't be doing, but we have to do. And the perfume industry, a couple of hundred years ago, realized that these stinky, massive molecules, they're big, heavy things, will keep the wonderful, fragrant, lighter more volatile molecules in perfume they will keep it attached to our skin so if you don't have these big heavy stinky things but they've got to be in very 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 small quantities then the perfume won't stay on your skin and you'll be no you won't be successful as a perfume company because you will sell your perfume they spray it on isn't this wonderful darling and then you go out for dinner half an hour later and it's disappeared so you wasted your money on your perfume so musk is one of the though musk is one of those absolute key precious elements to hold perfume onto the skin and they used to come from an anal gland of a musk um, there's a musk cat a uh, form of deer um, horrible ways of extracting them until the, f- the, pave- the until the perfume industry worked out a way to recreate them to mirror them f- without actually being scraping the backside of an animal so all of that stuff considered when you have this packet (laughs) of a big pink smiley face with two stars as the eyes called musk sticks well yeah
0: it's the first time i've had sticks associated with anal glands i have to say in my entire life well
1: i've i mean i've got no so but musk is musk is i've only smelt it once there's an incredible historian called ivan day who lives in the lake district and his house is a museum to food and cooking. So when he was a kid, he'd walk home from school and he walked past an antique shop. Uh, No, no, an antique. He walked past an antique bookshop. He was 14, 15. So that's when he started getting interested in historical recipes because this shop happened to sell historical cookbooks. And he found a little bottle with a little cork top and in in the bottle, which must have been maybe two inches high, there was a... Um, a little berry, dried berry, a bit like a juniper berry, somewhere between a juniper berry and a black peppercorn. It was the musk gland of a deer. And the shopkeeper said, um, this is probably 150 years old. So he bought it and he still got it. He's had it for maybe 20 years plus, 30 years, 40 years. And we went to his house one time. I remember he served us. It was pre-Christmas mince pies, dusted with icing sugar. Where he put this little berry, which was part of the anal gland from the musk cat, into the icing sugar. How was that? It was. It was. It was one of those probably the most powerful moment I've ever had. When I thought, oh my god, that I don't like that, but I like it. Oh, wow. So I started questioning myself why I like this. It has to be something evolutionarily hardwired. But so how did it still do it 150 this, years later? It still had the smell 150 Because th- the Because molecule, the molecules are so big. Wow, that's incredible. They're big, heavy things that hang around. Okay, I'll give you an example. Imagine summertime comes along in Britain and you start to hear that wonderful noise of the lawnmower going with the first um, cutting of the grass. And that smell of freshly cut grass doesn't stay for very long. Yeah. It's fleeting, isn't it? It disappears. Because those, the, because that, the, the, those green flavours, they're a bunch of molecules coming under the, 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 the name of hexanols, they're very volatile. So they come and go. It's a bit like if you look at nature, yeah, a mountain.
0: Yeah, if you could see them, they just just go like a mist.
1: And so that's sort of an aromatic equivalent of that. So, this discussion, all about musk and anal glands in the perfume industry, <laughs> is encapsulated in this little pink packet of musk sticks. Right, well, you need to try them now. Isn't that amazing what storytelling can do?
2: Just while you're getting ready to, to, to enjoy this uh, delight, I just thought I'd point out that the disgusting food museum yeah. in Malmo. Mm-hmm. Um, has a permanent exhibition of 80 of the world's most disgusting foods. They've scoured the planet for 80, only 80 things, that are deemed to be disgusting enough to get into the, the museum. And there are two entries from Australia, one of which is Vegemite, the other is musk sticks. So before you go in, just be aware... But it has been deemed...
0: What? It's disgusting. in a museum for being
1: disgusting. I have to... There, I have to defend Defend. I'm pizza, not judging it either way.
2: I have to defend Marmite.
1: Curation. No, but I actually... We spoke before. Um, um, Tony Blake, the professor, the guy that was... Um, um, worked for uh, Fermanish, one of the largest perfume and flavour houses in the world. The The, the man I said closest... Thing to my mentor if I had one I remember him saying to me there is no food on the planet that is disgusting because it's an oxymoron if it is disgusting then it is universally disgusting and nobody would eat it so it's disgusting to some people and not others so this museum in Malmo or it, who decides whether a food is disgusting
2: I knew you'd ask that, and I and I am trying to find. I am. I would love to name and shame them, and maybe in the next few minutes, I might be able to find a name of someone. (laughs) But there, there is
1: there is no food that is disgusting intrinsically or inherently. It might be disgusting to some people, so Marmite or Vegemite, for example, it's not disgusting. You might find
0: it disgusting, and I think I think that's the idea behind the museum. Actually, I think I've I, I to this museum once before, and I thought it would be a good place for us to go one day. But I think the idea of it is to make us question our think, view like on revision. From there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll go there with a the podcast, and that'd be brilliant. oh,
1: imagine that. Whoa! Yeah, but the idea yeah. is—I I, th- I believe why? the
0: idea of the museum is to make us question what we consider disgusting and why. I think that's the point of the place. It's it's, it's part museum, part installation, where it's actually making us question.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me. That makes, and I, you know, some people, I get asked often about the most either weird or disgusting things I've eaten. And for me, and obviously, we only, our own levels of disgustingness is relative to the other levels of disgustingness with other foods that we've eaten. We can't, we can't say any other way. But I reckon 50% of them or more I've had with you, Jay. Yeah, and they, the there have been moments in my life where my throat has decided to tell me to, where to go, put two fingers up to me and gone. I'm sorry, Heston, you ain't solving this. <laughs> Nothing you can do is going to control me now. My throat, my throat became my new superhero, and the food came out. And one of those examples is something called scatter. In Iceland, where they used, to let, they used to urinate on fish and they used to let it go rotten. When they build up ammonia, it preserves the fish. So the fish flesh looks wonderfully moist. When you put it in your mouth, it's ammonia. It is, it is, you, your body's telling you, don't eat this because this is going to be bad for you. And, and out it came. Out it came. However, there are people in Iceland that really enjoy eating that stuff. That doesn't make them bad people. It's just that their taste that you know they they've
0: been honed on certain flavors and tastes in a different way that we have. That's a good point. Now we should do. We'll do a podcast on disgusting foods, and we'll try and try as many that we can. Cons- people have considered to be disgusting, and see what we. When I say we, obviously you think to. The- <laughs> let's get. Let's let's now. I I love I love um, you
1: guys listening. Sending in sending in thoughts suggestions, ideas, or things like must sticks and i'm if you' prepared if you're all any if any of you are prepared to make the effort to do that, then I think Jay and I are prepared to make the effort to actually receive it or the jay 's face
0: you any, I mean, had so <laughs> many weird things with you <laughs> it never end. <laughs> Uh, the sheep's brains were a low point. Anyway, come on. We need to eat some musk sticks because we've got airplane food yeah. to eat as well, which There's we need the to take off Yes, okay. So let's open these up. All right. it's a lovely pink packet. packet. I can't imagine it's going that disgusting because it looks very kid-like. And I think that... I've got one out here. Just to describe it, it basically looks a bit like a small version of one of those oh. dog chews. You, you ah. know the ones they use for their teeth? And It's in pink. I'm
1: smelling You're smelling? Yeah, it smells a lot of uh, geranium... Rose, violet, very floral, maybe even a bit of lavender. It's very floral, slightly soapy, actually. And in fact, behind those um, those smells, <clears throat> there is a bit of musk. Now that might be psychosomatic because I've seen they're called mustics, but I got a big hit of floral notes. Things that you might put in. Bath salt. Have a smell of the packet again. Think about bar salts. I
2: thought you were gonna say anal gland and again.
1: <laughs> I know, well I don't know the last time I've put my nose that near an anal gland. Now behind the first floor on the bit, it's better to smell the packet because you've got a lot of them. Okay, chocolate. Behind and again, that that might be a fermentation thing from cocoa beans where you also get musk. Can you get that? There's a slightly warm... Behind the floral notes, there's a slight warm feeling. Yeah, this, is, this is a little bit warm like smell.
0: when we t- you, you teach me on wine. This is a bit like a sort of my nose is a human nose, your nose is a dog's nose, because you go you go so many layers beyond what I can smell in there. I, I am getting that, but I would never in a million years pick that out if you hadn't said it. They're quite fascinating, actually. All right, so I'm now pulling, I'm and pulling Apparently my they've health. been
2: around for like over 100 years, these, as, a, as some kind of confectionery in some form or other.
0: I don't know why someone would come up with this. I mean, Australia, by the way, this is your entire sort of legacy of, of sweet making. Now is resting upon this one, these one pink sticks. Oh, Jay, I love you. <laughs> this, this, is it. Australia's finest <laughs> sweet. I, uh, I s-
1: just anyone listening, that is classic TV right there. Ask two people their favorite chocolate. One says Kit Kat. One says Twix, and then you say fifty percent of the world love KitKat.
0: Precisely. So okay. So Heston is now trying yeah, a must right. for the first time. in so, I right?
1: It really is um, floral. Oh. <laughs> Jay- oh, guys, if you could see Jay's face, he's got his thumb and his forefinger squeezing his nostrils. His shoulders are are, are above his basically ear level. His body's contorted. His head is down. Oh um it's bloody awful is the oh, right word he's you're now looking scratching for. his head
0: why does a sweet taste that bad i don't think they are that tastes like I'm, a lady's never, clothes shop an old lady's clothes shop
1: there you go geranium rose violet it is it's it it's bar salts yes however behind that you see it tastes of you know those uh, i'm gonna say we've all had um it is it, like a little jar of bath salts you sprinkle in the bath.
0: That's Yeah, now you're saying but it, beh- that's exactly what it is. But in my mouth. So it's
1: geran- it's got geranium, as I said, violet, lavender. But behind there, there's a caramel and chocolate and salty note as well. They're incredibly, it sounds a bit conceited saying it, saying this, but I don't care, I'll say it anyway. They're incredibly sort of grown-up sweets I've never tasted anything like this
0: before that's why you, that's why clearly I don't like them hey,
1: dear listeners that noise is something that Jay has pained <laughs> about when we film Ugh. so I smell I taste I think about the texture on my lips on my mouth and my tongue and then afterwards I sort of do this so I, I pucker together my lips and my tongue because as I when I release it, it for me it helps release the flavor so I'm seeing, if I do that over a period of time, the more, v- the, the more volatile aromas disappear quicker. And then I'm left with the back notes. And I do get a musky, kind of chocolate, salty um, characteristic at the end.
0: You did talk me down off a ledge a bit there. It's a little bit like when, she, when you once gave me sea urchin to eat, which is categorically awful. Um, and <laughs> <laughs>
1: categorically, I love that categorically. So that is in inherently disgusting. Is what it was
0: saying. terrible, but you talked me down uh, off 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 a ledge of deep unpleasantness by saying no, no, no. Think about harbour. Think about salt. Think about and suddenly my brain was yeah. like oh. and on this, and my mouth was awash with that awful taste of sort of bath salts. And you sort of went no chocolate and salt, and I'm I'm sort of. I don't think I'm ever going to eat one again on purpose, but I'm certainly not in the place I was about a minute ago with it. But what an unusual kid! sweet. said
1: though. that, that's why I'm, fasc- I'm fascinated in it. It is a really unusual kid's sweet. And it does, uh, it, there is an element of sea urchin florality. I've just made up a word, I think. Florality to this.
0: Do you think we have anything like this, any of these flavors over here? Have um kids sweets.
1: But yes, but we do we did, but a lot less um I mean this is for me is really adult.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think that palm violets, um love hearts, uh remember That's those. That's a good sorts point, no, you say love hearts. Element Yeah, yeah,
0: love hearts have got a bit of that in but, there. Not quite as strong, but a bit of that. No, these are really I yeah, amazing. Peter, thank. There you. we are, Peter. Thank you ever um, so much. I don't think I didn't realize this was going to, you know, involve quite this many deviations and interesting things, and I certainly didn't think we we're going to end up where we have with this. But we really appreciate it. So, um, everyone out there, let's keep searching for the, for the for the most unusual sweets. Actually, I'm sure there's loads of really interesting things out there. We haven't, well, Heston hasn't tried before. It would be wonderful to experience them. But for now, we're going to park the musk sticks, thankfully, in the bin, well out of sight. <laughs> 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 and move on to our, our theme for the show today, which, Heston, I know you've already alluded to it, or you've already mentioned it. Uh, what? Where are we going today? Uh, Aeroplane food. Food in the sky. Which I think is what we all want. Just a bit of escapism right now anyway. Just the thought of flying feels like a, a long forgotten thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. But airplane food. Okay, so to begin with on airplane food, where do you sit in the kind of knee jerk to it? Because from my personal perspective, I... I in a very simplistic way. I like airline food. I like the whole experience of it.
1: Yeah, me too. I, I think that we, stroke airline companies, should not try and think about making restaurants in the sky.
0: Interesting.
1: Because the context is so completely different on so many levels, excuse the pun, but the pressure, the altitude the context the travelling the stress the 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 way you're sitting on a plane even all of these things the timings they bear no resemblance to a restaurant whatsoever you probably have more connection to watching a food delivery advert on tv than eating food in 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 the air and some of these airlines said oh yes we're going to be a, we, we want to be a fine dining place in the sky but you're on a different planet, or you're on a different part of the
0: planet. What a great point! I've never considered that before. That they, they, instead of saying we're going to be the best airline food experience, they've said we are yeah. a restaurant. Yeah, which is complete makes no sense at all, does it? None at all. And if you think about, I realised when I did that show
1: just how hard those the cabin crew worked. So
0: this was Mission Michelin, Michelin Michelin Mission Impossible, in which you reinvented Mission food Impossible. for airlines. Yeah, so I. I
1: I went and did several so long haul services. I served food on the plane and drink on the plane in economy and business in first class. I went to the gate gourmet, the company making the food and 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 listened to the some of the staff from b a that were obviously trying to you know as big companies do, just so I say they always care about their customers. and in fact, god I learned I learned so much. I was very thankful to have there was Simon and Jackie, two of the uh front of house or the the, the the um cabin crew that cared so much about what they were doing. And imagine at the fat duck at dinner or a restaurant, you have the kitchen and you have the dining room and then you have the pass and the pass is where the chefs put the food, they put the plates of food on the pass and the front of house take them and in interface with the customers. Now in an airplane even before you get to the fact that you're in a different altitude and humidity level and noise level and all this kind of stuff. The chefs cook the food on the ground, they get put into a plane, they get flown up to 35,000 feet or seven miles in the air and then served. So the, 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 the connection between kitchen in front of house and guests is so huge. And if you try and purport to be a fine dining experience in the air, then you're only going to be disappointed because it's a completely different context. And have you ever seen what happens to a plastic water bottle on an aeroplane when you land? It gets all twisted. It gets twisted. Now, your insides, all of your tubes, whether they're blood vessels or intestines, all of your tubes do the same thing in a plane. So your whole digestive process is different. You have inflammation when you travel, which is why airplane, um, where, where the cabin crew, cabin staff, they have a reduced lifespan on average really just because of the stress and pressure from going up and down at altitude so when we're up at altitude we have an inflammation of our of our tubes let's call them tubes so our nostrils are tubes Our you know the 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 ears the, the are tubes our intestines So there's loads of tubes in our body that send signals they're inflamed so when they're inflamed you need bigger contrast because more subtle changes are not more they they're harder to perceive so it's, you can't apply normal restaurant rules even if you did have the facilities which they don't have the facilities you can't apply normal restaurant
0: rules in the in the galley area what do they mm. when they get them from the ground is everything done apart from the heating up of the main meal or do they do anything in the galley is it or is it literally just sort of pop it in the microwave bring it back out and it's good to go Some airlines
1: do a bit more than others. Some ones that charge more can do a bit more, and some of them also purport to do a lot more than they do. But essentially, the food is made in kitchens on the ground. It's changing a bit since I did that program actually, but it's tasted on the ground by people that aren't chefs. Then it's delivered to the plane. So imagine you're sitting on the plane and you look out of the window on the runway at Heathrow Airport, for example. And you see the lorries of the of the delivery trucks of the of the companies that have made the food they deliver them on the plane they're already on their trolleys. They have these massive fridges where the they all trolleys get stacked up. Then the cabin crew heat them if they need to be heated and they serve them within a given time. They have very very little equipment they have very very little space and the thing one of the things that struck me when I did this show for British Airways was that the people on the ground, it was as if imagine at the duck, the kitchen had no concern about the quality of the food when it arrived at the table. So Gate Gourmet were doing so doing a great job on the ground. They were getting it they were browning the steaks and they were they were at a level where they could get them in the oven ready for the passengers. But they didn't understand just how much work the cabin crew had to do in such a short period of time.
0: It's almost as if my job's done. I didn't consider that either. I've never considered how much work they have to do up there. And and interestingly, one of the things you mentioned there, which I'll share our experience that we had before, was that Yes, you have what mine and most of yours experience of eating on the planes is sitting in economy, especially doing all our TV stuff. We fly around in economy. But uh, we we were lucky enough on one project we did in Australia where we were working with one of the airlines. So we got, well, you got bumped up and we both got bumped up. And I remember once you were in uh, first class and I got a little tap on the shoulder. And one of the hostesses said, oh, you've been invited down to have dinner. And I came down. It was so exciting. We got in that little sleep. It was like a little carriage, like a sleeper carriage room, wasn't it? Yeah. And we sat together. In the, end we, in the end, I got kicked out because we were making too much noise. Do you remember we really annoyed that guy behind us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of bottles of wine. <laughs> but, Did you say we or you? Yeah, me? Oh, yeah. And, um, but the food, that was the first class food. And I didn't feel that it was really any better. It was nicer served. You got a napkin and a knife and fork. Yep. But it was no better than the stuff I was having back in lower classes
1: yeah it, it's it 's served on porcelain and you they they do a, you know what they think is a restaurant service,
0: but you 're not in
1: a restaurant you 're in a plane and I remember going to iceland and i don 't mean the frozen <laughs> food shopping <laughs> <laughs> centers <clears throat> it came back with film that I was in economy, and we got uh it was a lamb dish in the tinfoil, um you know container and i cut into it there weren't many people on the plane in all fairness and this was a nicely cooked piece of lamb i was shocked because of what we're used to on airplanes so i said to the woman i said god this is this lamb is fabulous what did you do she just said i just took it out when i thought it was ready
0: lovely answer that is <laughs> human isn't
1: it? human connection and what happens in uh, what was happening in british airways was they would use tea sticks and these tea sticks are plastic little plastic um, kind of a uh, plastic stick you put into the food pointed end and it would you'd you'd the food was ready when it changed color now that because of health and safety reasons obviously because you know they've got a make sure that they're dotting their i's and crossing their t's that it was cooked to over 70 degrees or 72 degrees so if you think um well done steak is 70. well done fish is 60. Mm. so everything is knackered so why give not an economy now i'm going jumping to say first class what's the what's the point of giving lobster do they do that? Let's give you lobster and let's cook the living daylights out of it you I mean, you think you're, you're, you're enjoying it because you know you're in first class to get lobster. Well I've noticed in um, with COVID when i gone from France to the UK the food comes in a little box. It's a sandwich. It's a Coronation chicken sandwich but it's in a box. I open the box have the sandwich. I'm on my own. I'm sitting in a, a row of seats. I'm not sitting around a dining table. And I'm looking out the window to either clouds and blue sky or the land I can see beneath me, and it's a moment of solace.
0: It's a moment where I can just value the mouthfuls of food. It is an intense experience with your food, isn't it? because you're staring at it in a way you generally don't normally. It's very one-on-one.: Yeah it, it's an opportunity to actually be to,
1: to, to be more to become more fulfilled, eat, eat more mindfully if you want to. Long-haul flights are different because long-haul flights, it's all very exciting and you want to watch a movie. So you sit and eat your food and watch a movie. But on a short-haul flight with a sandwich, if you've got an hour and a half, it's a great moment to look out to the clouds, contemplate life, and think about how your bread dough is feeling on your top lip. <laughs> and when you chew the bread, you know, it changes its sweetness. But And there's no one... Well, then you potentially have the opportunity
0: that you're free from distraction and it's a sandwich so if i gave you heston blumenthal airways and to create whatever dining experiences you would want on board which ways would you experiment with it what would you think would be a fun way to give experiences on board or a fulfilling way to give dining experiences on board a plane
1: i suppose it it depends this is a bit of a politician's answer so it depends on many things the length of the flight the purpose of the flight Are you going on holiday? Are you going to see family? Are you travelling for, you know, to go to a situation where you'd rather not travel to? Are you with family? Are you with children? Is it morning? Is it night time? So all of those things will play a major role. I know that when we did the TV show for this, we did some, I was trying to convince the people at Gate Gourmet and British Airways that food does not physically taste the same when we're in the air when we're at altitude um, even putting aside the reason why you're traveling you might be excited you might be stressed there's all sorts of reasons so let's put all of that aside let's just look at our taste buds so salt sweet sour bitter umami when you're at altitude your tubes outer tubes they're, they're inflamed. Or they're, so you end up with, a, a, with certain tastes being suppressed. So for example, sweet and salt is suppressed by up to 50%. So if you put a, half a teaspoon of salt in a dish on the ground, and then you taste that dish at seven miles altitude, or however high you might be flying, it could be 50% less salty so the answer is not necessarily to chop loads more salt in the dish you can look at the way you put the salt so if you put the salt in bigger granules you have a burst contrast becomes more important the same thing with sweetness however there's a taste called umami which is monosodium glutamate or glutamic acid And this is a fascinating thing. It's the one taste that is not affected at altitude. Now, umami comes under a group of oligosaccharides or short-chain fatty acids. Why is that important? Well, from an evolutionary point of view, breast milk has the highest level of umami of just about any food that a human being will consume. The colostrum, the first part of the breast milk. There's a lot of uh, research done that states or that says that this helps the mother connect to the baby. So, umami, glutamic acid, contains oxytocin. And oxytocin is the hormone of bonding, human connectivity. MDMA and ecstasy are full of oxytocin. But so so are foods with umami. And do you remember we did the food for Tim, Peak for
0: space? Yeah, in which you were encountering very similar issues.
1: Exactly. And the whole thing I thought, I cannot imagine being further removed from your planet, from your family, from your friends, from your loved ones, from your memories than when you are up in space. So let's see if we can tailor make some foods that emotionally connect Tim to the people he loves. And human connectivity is one of the things that's being affected in COVID at the moment. So this whole area of oxytocin, umami, glutamic acid, oligosaccharides is of all of the tastes that we perceive is the one that bonds human beings emotionally way more than anything else. And it's the one that's not actually affected at altitude. So after we finish the program... I wanted to find a dish that would sit in economy business and first class a dish that obviously british airways so let's have a british dish let's have a dish that is comfort food that would be easy to reheat in the very limited conditions on an airplane and you could get consistency so you didn't have to do too, too much last minute work and you could do a vegetarian option of this of the same dish
0: and basically it was a um, cottage pie Oh, I was thinking that. When you were given that list, I thought that's a small number of things you could do. Cottage it's, pie, lovely. at the
1: same time, we did a four-year project with the Royal Berkshire for older people to feel fulfilled when they ate in hospitals. And they were being given drip feeds or sip feeds, which were full of glucose. They were horrible. They were horrible. And imagine, you know, your immune system as you get older is, is, is more delicate. You go to hospital and you're more stressed. A bit like being on an aeroplane, but the hospital is more extreme. The the, the the comfort you find in your meal times is so precious and it's so valuable. So, why would you give more delicate people, more vulnerable people, why would you give them disgusting? Um, and I, I think this might be intrinsically disgusting because I, I don't know anybody that, that you didn't give them must fix, did you? A, a, a sip feed or drip feed. So, we looked at and mints was a a good standard to be able to do in hospital and in fact um, you can increase umami or glutamic acid seven times the recommended value unlike salt it doesn't have the damage that salt has and by adding ingredients that contain this naturally like parmesan and tomatoes and dried shiitake mushrooms and stuff like this you can, you can fill your mouth with taste. So umami is, is, is basically like a meaty feeling in the mouth. You don't need meat to have that umami. In fact, some of the strongest umami foods have their no meat. I mean, seaweed, as I said, shiitake mushrooms, the, 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 the pulp of tomatoes. So coming back to airplane food, this is a really important element. So BA, after we did the filming, they, they had a whole thing on the front of their page. We're doing umami-rich foods. And then you turn the page and it's lobster with Erica veya something to something. And it was just nonsense. It was nonsense. You don't
0: need lobster and caviar to do this. Well, I think you put your finger in. You said comfort. I never realised that that was the one thing I think that probably everyone on a plane is looking for. You don't have to be nervous about flying you don't wh- whoever you are you are going to feel uncomfortable in in a plane situation it could be the noise the cramped conditions just the fact that you're like you said seven miles up. just
1: having to check in ch- check in an hour and a half before and go through security and being questioned about just
0: that Oh, and just itself. having to always run for a plane every single time I'm with you. We should design food <laughs> which has a heightened heart rate enjoyment because I've never run from I'm never run for planes on my own. Every time I'm with you, we run for a plane. Now, it's not when to get in there late. We just end up sitting in the restaurant for hours beforehand. We always leave we, it at n- the last minute.
1: We, we never missed one, though, did we? <laughs> oh,
0: it was really close.
1: Yes, close <laughs> but no banana. You always I'm say this, we so never
0: say. missed one, like it's sort of told you. <laughs> no, I know. No, no person Enough. I sit next to every time I get on a plane dripping with sweat
1: <laughs> yes it's not something I'm necessarily proud of <laughs> but comfort comfort is exactly it it's comfort and why I'd love to know why people cry including me why can you cry on a plane you see an Andrex advert why does it increase in why, emotional it's sort I, of makes I have a, emotional I have a theory oh good <laughs> Uh, and there's never one reason for anything to happen but again inflammation so when you cry it actually is water is coming out of your eye liquid is coming from your eyes pressure your pressure your your tubes are more squeezed so i think you're more susceptible to those emotional emotional responses and in fact in the normal day-to-day life i think many of us I certainly have We block in emotions, and we're not aware that we're blocking them in, but we go about, we want to be strong, we want to show people how we're strong. We go in a plane, there's a level of discombobulation just by going through the process of passport control, security control. So this whole process can remove comfort. Eventually, when we're in our seat, and we put that seatbelt on, and we've listened to the announcement, and we've listened to the increasing amount of nonsense over the tannoy about thirty-five thousand feet, turning left over nebulous <laughs> nimbus. At the same time, we're raising charity for loads of poor, starving people. And you eat this and don't eat that, but keep your mask on. Yeah, some of this is very important, but we have to listen to more and more. The moment when that all stops, and we're in us, we've got our seatbelts on, and we're looking out of the window. We can see some clouds, and we have something to eat. Ah, I think there is a potential for a really big sigh of relief like we've made it and we don't get that contrasting feeling that much when we're on the ground so the food that we eat we want comfort we want to eat what we want to eat at that time now how do you give people what they want to eat when they want to eat it at that time that's a challenge
0: tim Peake's favorite thing that you made him up there was not the most well it was incredibly complicated in, ter- in terms of how you actually did it. But in terms of its principle, it was the bacon sandwich with tomato ketchup in it. And on yeah. Earth, you don't get a more simplistic definition of comfort food. But up there, when he was so far from home in such a pressurized, noisy container, that was the thing he said gave him comfort. And it's the same on planes, isn't it? It's that that, that anchor to Earth, but also something you can just lose yourself in for a, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Imagine a mindful sandwich.
1: That's it. A mindful sandwich. It doesn't matter if, you, if you've got £5 or a £1,000 to spend on food on a plane. If you can eat a mindful sandwich, you can have a moment of solace that is so precious. I had to leave the best to last. Two words. Nasal
0: douche. Along with anal glands, this is, this is, this is proving to be a first for the, uh, for the podcast. What is a nasal douche? So nasal douche, I
1: never heard of this before. When we made the TV show, uh, I, it was introduced to me that there's a thing called a nasal douche, a nasal shower, and it's a pressurized bottle with a, with a little snout. But when you press it, it goes, salty water comes out. So you put this tube up one of your nostrils and you give yourself a proper, it's a really weird feeling at first. You, you have water coming from your, if it's the right nostril, your right eye.
0: Oh, wow. Left
1: nostril, left, left eye. But what it does is it hydrates your nasal passage. But the aeroplane is an incredibly dehydrating environment. So in addition to the pressure, we do need to consume more liquid. So we're dehydrated. When you're dehydrated, when you can't, it's like having a cold. You can't smell.
0: So are you suggesting we do this before we eat on, on the plane? Chst, <laughs> <laughs> What is the person next to you going to think if you start doing that? Well, yeah.
1: A, no, no there's but that's a whole other <laughs> um a whole other subject but i know when i did this was just before i did a tour of um like a like a, a show live show in australia I did about 10 nights a couple of thousand people a night and i just finished my discoveries on filming this airline food show oh my god i talk about freudian slip I kept on saying anal douche, and sometimes I said anal douche <laughs> without realizing it. So I'm thinking, these people looking at me, and I'm thinking, oh my God, hang on a second. What if they thought. <laughs> You're
0: by on, on plane, they should having anal an douche.
1: anal douche, which makes your wine taste better. <laughs> oh my God, I wish somebody had told me before. A douche. I'm just and if
2: there's anyone somewhere Sorry, watch this show. Who stopped being corrected. Who's still carrying on this idea. But before they have to... I'll tell you what. If, if anyone...
1: Any... Any... Dear listeners, if anyone has tried an anal douche and found it makes a difference to the way their wine tastes, please, 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 don't send me a sample, but let us know. <laughs> we know let us photos. know, because we <laughs> might have discovered something really miraculous here. Oh, my God. So, that. So <laughs> <laughs> so they're just finishing off the nasal douche if you can't I don't know how I mean, I'm assuming these thing these bottles are you know, people buy them in chemists all the time I'd never seen them before we did the, the show but I did try with a, a kitchen if you take some like uh, kitchen paper and roll it up and then just dip it in some water a glass of water and then shove it up your nostril. It's not the best look in town, but you're sitting on an airplane seat, so there's probably only the person next to you that's going to look at you funnily. Yeah,
0: um, they hate you by that point anyway, don't they? Uh, if they're on a the plane, you. Next they already hate, hate you. Yeah, <laughs> they really hate you. you
1: smell funny as well, you're making too much noise, and you're kicking the f- seat in front of you. Yeah. So they um, um, then, uh, if you put those those rolled up um, damp or wet bits of kitchen paper up your nostrils for, say, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, then sip the wine afterwards, you will notice a difference. It doesn't last too long. That's the only thing. You you might need to make a small arsenal
0: of uh, dampened kitchen paper. These little douches. On that note... On that note, we would like to thank you for flying on Heston Airways. Just before we land, uh, our co-pilot James has, I believe, been noticing something interesting on the route.
2: Oh, no, just a couple of things. While you were talking, I thought I'd, I'd look up. Obviously, it's it's always good to give a, a perspective on these things. I think the first airline meal ever served I can find was back in 1919, so almost a, just over 100 years ago was on a Handley page flight from London to Paris, so very uh, uh, luxurious, I'm sure. Apparently offered a range of cold-fried chicken fruit salad and a mix of sandwiches for the additional price of three shillings. So that's where we've come from to where we are today. I'm not sure there's been a huge amount of improvements, but, uh, you know. <laughs> no, we should just... get hold. We should try that menu one day. That'd yeah, be we great. Should.
0: We should try the first airplane food menu ever. Ever had.
2: I'll leave the, the listeners with one other source of, uh, of more material if they're interested. There is, I have uncovered a wonderful website called airline.net. I think, I just uh, airlinemeals.net, uh, which is an incredible survey of over twenty thousand. Uh, contributions from lots of different passengers on the airline meals all graded and rated for your for perusal so if you are interested in finding what other airlines that you haven't traveled on offer to maybe choose which airline you may wish to travel on in the future then that that's been I've enjoyed looking at that in the last few minutes.
0: Heston thank you ever so much for flying us through the friendly skies on that that was brilliant I genuinely Going to be looking at my airplane food, if we ever get to get back on a long-haul flight ever again, um, <laughs> in a completely different way. That was really, really good fun. Thank you ever so much. And uh, you, and the musk sticks, which we should never speak of I'm again. just eating one um, now. I'm just,
1: I'm just eating the rest of it.
0: You really are. Thank you, everyone out there for listening to us. Please do uh, subscribe, if you can, on this. And also, do leave us reviews on the various different places where you get your podcasts. Apparently, it does make a difference to... Uh, to good things in algorithms, whatever that might be. So uh, we appreciate all of your input, uh, but all that's left to do for this week is say thank you ever so much, James, and thank you very much. Goodbye, Heston. Goodbye, chaps. Goodbye, all.